can't just recruit your way out of this, this issue. What are you doing for your current associates? What are you doing to retain them? What are you doing to create an environment where they want to stay? Hello, and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. Today's episode features an interview with Paul Lesser, principal at PHL Talent Advisory Services. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hello and welcome to this week's installment of the Talent Blueprint. Today, I am super excited to welcome a guest that I've had the pleasure of working with myself and who has recently started a new advisory service, Mr. Paul Lesser. Paul, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. And welcome to our first segment, The Blueprint. It's a blueprint. This doodle is called a blueprint. A blueprint. Just grew up a little blueprint. And it's right here in this here blueprint. So, Paul, I've been super excited to, to host you. I've uh, had the, the, the pleasure of uh, working with you directly in uh, some of the things that we've been doing at Beamery. Thank you. Great to be here. I'd love you to start by sharing some of the, the work that you're, you're doing now, now that you've uh, started your own advisory services, PHL Talent Advisory Services. Tell us about the mission of PHL and the work you've been doing there. Sure. And again, thank you very much, Sultan, for, uh, for hosting and inviting me here. I had spent the um, majority of my career at Fidelity Investments, which is a, a large multinational financial service company, and retired from there last summer and knew I wanted to stay active in HR and talent-related work and form my own advisory group where the focus is really twofold, working with what I'd say is emerging technologies that are geared towards talent acquisition, talent development, talent management, and work with these companies around opportunities around product development, uh, chat about what is the right way to go about the sales cycle, what are the decision makers, what are the you know key areas that you know buyers are looking for in these tools. And the other aspect of my business is I'm working directly with a number of companies. I recently just finished up with a Fortune 500 consumer packaging company that was um, in process of looking to insource all of their talent acquisition work. So I worked with their head of TA on what that org structure could look like, metrics, scorecards, technology stack, things of that nature, and uh, have really enjoyed it. So I've been doing what I like to say real work, but I've also been doing some advisory work as well. And it's uh, it's been really exciting and a really nice change. It sounds like it's already been a fun journey. What was the biggest opportunity you saw when you started PHL? Well, you know, I, I was thinking back when, you know, I was in my role at Fidelity, I, I ran talent acquisition, talent development, and learning. And we would have vendors coming in all the time, pitching us new products, new technologies. And there were many times where I felt that they are coming in with a fairly, for lack of a better word, canned approach to how they're trying to market the product. And I think every company is different in terms of, besides what their technology stack and their technology infrastructure is like, there's also cultural differences, there's process differences and things of that nature. And I felt like there was an opportunity for me being on the other side of the desk to work with some of these companies to kind of share how I would approach a large scale client, how I would think about not just the sales process, but also really starting to understand what some of their challenges were, understand what 
the pain points were, the decision-making process was. And um, I found that a lot of these companies have said, hey, we really want to work with somebody that has been on that side and also give us the expertise of being in an HR function. You know, besides being in some of the core functions, I was in line functions where I ran HR for Fidelity's technology organization. I ran HR for Fidelity's equity organization. And these were, you know, large scale businesses where there were different types of employee populations. You know, I was very engaged in what was happening in all of our call centers and what was the you know challenges regarding not just attracting call center employees, but career development. And, you know, then we have a pandemic. So what's it like bringing people on now in a virtual manner? Um, I really took and have worked with some of my clients also, Sultan, on one of the years I think a lot of companies haven't put as much emphasis as they really need to, and I think the hybrid environment is going to force this, is onboarding processes to really ensure that once you're finding great people, you're engaging them from day one. And there's a variety of operational things you need to do, but there's also a variety of what I'd call cultural and uh, team-based things that you need to do to really get people excited about joining the company. So bringing in some of those what I'd call real-world problems that I was dealing with and being able to bring them now and work with other companies has been very satisfying. It sounds like some of the real world problems you were dealing with, the story of call centers and the work during the pandemic, sounds like it must have been very rewarding to see that come to life. What's been the most rewarding part of your role at PHL since you've uh, moved into this advisory capacity? I think it's been, you know, working with businesses and helping them kind of think a little bit different about what could be maybe a product enhancement or it could be help us think about, you know, our sales pitch. Does that resonate with someone like yourself? Or, yeah, I'm working with a client right now and they're struggling with who's making, who makes these decisions? You know, it's a product where you could make the case is the CHRO making the decision, is the head of procurement making this decision, is the CFO making the decision, is the CIO making the decision. So it's been really, I'd say, satisfying to work with these different groups and really help them think about how they can be more effective in marketing and selling the product, but also making it a product where the usability from someone who's had the day-to-day experience of, you know, having to then implement it and use it, how that all plays out. So it's been pretty exciting because I think that particularly with what's happening in HR technology right now, most of these systems are lifetimes ahead of wherever thought things could go through the use of AI and some of the workflows and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, you still have to work with an organization to say, here's how we would recommend it being implemented, but work with us on the configuration, work with us on how you want to use it. And I think that's been pretty powerful. This topic around what success looks like for different organizations being different and vendors needing to actually acknowledge that their product and the way it's used has to be tailored to the needs of a business takes us nicely to our next segment, The Journey. A real journey. Become the journey. How have you thought about what success looks like, both with technology and otherwise, for talent leaders and talent organizations in your time when you were a practitioner? What defined success for you and and how did you evolve that picture with, with the needs of the businesses that you've operated in? I think what's happened, Sultan, is that what used to be what I'd call very vertical HR practices are now all coming together holistically. So give the example, Town acquisition hires the people. 
talent development. They think about, okay, what are the strategies and programs in place to develop our talent? Talent management. Hey, how do we know who the right people are based on succession planning and strategies to be able to build the next generation leaders, managers, thought leaders, whatever it might be. And each of these organizations would operate, in my opinion, and what I've seen as separate verticals. And I think what's happening now is there is a convergence of the whole talent ecosystem where businesses are recognizing, number one, it's very challenging to find good people. Number two, very challenging to retain good people. And number three, you know, you've got to think about what is your strategy in terms of building your business regarding next generation of thought leadership, management, executives, and it all ties together. And I think companies right now that are proactive and are recognizing this are realizing that you need systems that talk to each other. You need a journey in which from the time you're coming into the funnel as a candidate to the time that you're being considered for a promotion, the business can really have a holistic view of this individual, what they've accomplished, what they've learned, what's the feedback they've gotten from their managers, what's the feedback they've gotten from their peers. So I think all these systems are coming together and the companies that are going to win are the ones that are going to recognize that by doing this, they're going to have more data than they've ever realized on their associates. They're going to have more data on their managers, who are the best managers that are developing the talent, who are the managers that aren't doing it, and creating an environment where they can be proactive going to associates for developmental experiences, for promotions, for what could be you know a critical project that they didn't realize wow, the CIO knows who I am and I'm getting put on this project. So I think businesses are really in, really starving for this amount of data and it's all going to need to come together. And companies that understand that, I think are going to be really successful. So I think that that's a, a huge opportunity for companies right now. I think it's challenging because in many cases, they've got you know systems that they've been using for years that in many cases will not provide that holistic view or they haven't really embraced what I like to call the people analytics and data side of their organization. But I think really companies that are emerging and understanding where this is going are recognizing that they have to look at this more holistically. I mentioned onboarding. That used to be viewed as an administrative task. I would say that the pandemic has highlighted, in many cases, the poor onboarding that has gone on for years, where associates may not get equipment, they may not have the right passwords to get access to the right systems to be able to to work through. Compliance doesn't have everything they need. Backgrounds. You go back into the offices, facilities prepared. But then more importantly, as individuals, you know, are working remotely in a hybrid environment, how do they learn about the culture? How do they learn about the history? How do they build relationships? So onboarding has been bringing all this together. um, But some companies still aren't recognizing that someone needs to run it and they're still operating it as all separate verticals that in many cases aren't communicating with each other. And the associates see that from day one, if there's breakdowns and where their where their struggles are. It's really refreshing hearing you talk about this holistic experience from pre-hire to hire to onboarding to employees. It's something we refer to at Beamery as talent lifecycle management and this methodology that's really not only needed, but now really finally possible because we have, for the first time, technologies and systems that let you connect this data. And as you say, once you have that in place, 
the opportunities for how you can think about new initiatives and new measures of success once you have that data um, start to open up. But with that in mind, what are some of the new measures of success that you're starting to see talent leaders grapple with, particularly once they have some of these technologies available to them, but also given the fact that we are in a new climate where the pain points of all of those parts of the talent lifecycle are becoming more acute. What are you seeing talent leaders that you're working with grapple with now? You know, one of the, I think, key things that I hear is the question of how do I measure the success and the quality of the people that I'm hiring? And, you know, it used to be how quickly you're filling jobs. You know, what is the, what is the time to fill to me? But the key thing around quality, and what I mean by that is the people that were hiring, how are they doing in terms of their overall performance? How are they doing in terms of getting promoted down the road? How are they doing regarding being the individuals that are getting, you know, rewarded through various compensation tools? Then you look at other aspects of quality. You know, are they engaged in the organization? Do they refer people into the company? Are they active in, you know, events that the firm's sponsoring, whether it be things like ERGs, whether it be community service events, whether it be getting involved in helping to either mentor or recruit people and all those factors. And there's ways to gather all that data on individuals to really you know, determine how engaged is this individual. And more importantly, this is somebody that we really want in the organization. We're glad we brought in. And from my perspective, that's an area that everybody struggles with because they're always trying to decide, you know, are we hiring the right people? Um, everybody says they want to hire the best people, but in a lot of cases, a lot of cases, what is what does that really mean to that particular organization? So I think companies can define what overall quality means to them and then put in the mechanisms to go ahead and manage that. And this goes back to the point you made earlier around tracking data across systems in one place, because traditionally once you hire somebody, you lose track of what happened to that hire in both your data systems and your reporting. And I think the opportunity now for companies who have ways of keeping a single record of what happened to those employees and having systems that actually track new ways for people to show engagement by engaging in things like gigs or internal talent marketplaces or learning opportunities, keeping that tracking not only allows you to create a better employee experience, but to actually learn from it and use that to impact the types of folks you're hiring. So I love love these examples. And it's such a fresh opportunity. Technology only recently started to enable this, and it's um, it couldn't have come a more important time. But of course, a lot of the things we're talking about, not just from a data perspective, but from a rollout of initiatives that look at new metrics, moving from tracking time to hire to quality of hire, moving from uh, some of the uh, traditional methods of looking at more transactional processes towards this holistic view, requires a lot of change management. What are some of the biggest frictions that you've run into yourself in your time at Fidelity as a practitioner? And, And how does that compare with some of the biggest challenges and frictions you're seeing talent leaders run into today's climate? I mean, without question, you know, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Change is never easy for anybody. So put that aside. I think that one of the friction points clearly was around the fact that, and I'll go back to my time at Fidelity, managers need to understand that the world has changed and it does not revolve around the open job that they're currently trying to fill. Meaning you have to have a good interview process set up. You have to be able to provide feedback to candidates that are interviewing on your roles. You have to go from evaluation 
to potentially sales mode to in, to attract people. And that was challenging because a lot of managers would still say, well, yeah, I want to have them back again next week. Or, you know, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm going to, you know, go ahead and uh, keep the job open for another month. It would take managers, you know, I'd say an opportunity where they would lose someone or, you know, the candidate in some case would be very clear about the fact that uh, they were going to move forward because the process that they're engaged in wasn't meeting their need. Well, you know what? You want to have me back in again? I'm done, you know? And it took managers having to experience that um, to recognize that they had a change. So that was definitely a friction point. I think the other, you know, friction point is when you're putting new tools in, I'll talk about recruiting, most recruiters tend to be very good, what I call salespeople. They love to get people on the phone and convince them to come to your company and, you know, get to know them and then try to, you know, make them an offer and get them on board and things of that nature. And one of the things that needed to change was that the recruiters needed to become much more amenable to living and working in a technology-based system. Okay. When I started recruiting 30 years ago, I had file folders and yellow legal pads and I would list people that I needed to call and then they'd move from they're in this folder for this job and I had my own process in place. And I think through the years, particularly experienced recruiters, they've all had their own processes. And companies right now are basically saying, and I know I had to do this, where I had to say, if you're not going to work within our ATS, okay, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to do your job and that's going to be evaluated that way because we needed you to work within the tools we had because of the fact that we were actively trying to ensure a, a frictionless experience for people once we hired them, that they would be flow through processing. We'd get them on boarded effectively and we closed down what historically had been a bunch of different back doors that people would be able to do their job and at the end they'd fill in the necessary evils they needed to do. But I think that's a big change. And as I've worked with some of my clients, I'd say some of the recruiters are very hesitant to embrace new technology because they like the process that they they have. But I think for companies to, and we've talked about the importance of the analytics and the ability to kind of, you know, look at the trends of what's happening. If you don't get the data in a tool that you know is reliable, then you're creating what I used to have to do, which was forensic reports where, you know, you're basically pulling in multiple feeds and you're praying that you got it right. Um, versus having something that really would tell the story. And with the different opportunities that are available now from a technology perspective or from a change perspective, there's obviously a lot of pains that organizations have across every part of that life cycle you talked about, from hiring to onboarding to employee experience now to alumni experience. I mean, I think the biggest pain point that we've always had, and I think it's most companies, is they don't know enough about their current employee population to help them from a career mobility, career development perspective. So my boss used to always say, why is it I have to go onto LinkedIn to learn more about our employees than when I'm in our current systems? And he was 100% right. And I think that's a, a really critical area that companies really want to get their arms around because they've recognized, yeah, it's hard to find good people. But now, what do you do once you have them? And the whole focus right now, and you can tie it into the whole DNI conversation, which is there tends to be a bias where people will go to the people they know or they're comfortable with if they have a go-to project or something critical came in. It's always the same group of people that tend to get tapped, 
Okay. And you hear that loud and clear from associates. Oh, well, I never get asked to be in these projects or I never get tapped and -and so-and-so always does. And part of the reason is there's not enough data on the current employee population to be able to know who are the right people to go on to this project or this initiative or to work in this particular, you know, new development area. So people go with who they're comfortable with. And that has definitely, you know, raised the voice for people in companies right now because firms are recognizing the fact that there are these biases in place. So companies that can get more information and more data on their people to then be able to focus on the right development experience for them, but also it's going to help them meet their business needs. In some ways, it's no different than a lot of companies when they say they have a DNI strategy. All they talk about is recruiting, recruiting, and recruiting. And you know, I've said to many companies, you can't just recruit your way out of this issue. What are you doing for your current associates? What are you doing to retain them? What are you doing to create an environment where they want to stay because they're getting great opportunities, they're getting great mentoring, they're getting exposure. You know, in a lot of cases, they'll say we just don't know enough about them. So how do you how do you use technology to uncover what I'd say are some hidden gems in the organization that maybe people don't know enough about because they might be more introverted or maybe they're you know they're we're in an environment where a lot of people are just starting to meet people because of the whole hybrid environment and pandemic. So I think that's going to be something that companies are really going to get their arms around. I couldn't agree more and. In some of the other episodes on this uh, this series, we've had other leaders talk about things that touch on this topic. We've had discussions around how organizations like GM having to navigate an entirely new landscape of projects and work and answering the question of where do we hire versus where do we upskill or reskill is very difficult when, to your point, the best bet for finding out what skills your employees have is LinkedIn, and that's not going to be a very good source. Um, certainly not for what they want to do or what they've recently done or how effective they are in certain areas and, and capabilities. And I think now as we are entering this um, interesting economic environment where many organizations are freezing, hiring, that's becoming even more pertinent. How do you know when you should be hiring or not, when you should be training or not? It's becoming a much more delicate conversation around the traditional build, borrow, buy, and where do we invest our, our efforts? And as you say, it's hard to do any of that unless you have that kind of information about insights of skills and hidden gems in your employees, as, uh, as you put it. With all of that being said, when you look ahead to the, the 12 months uh, that lie ahead of us, these sort of turbulent times, what do you think is the biggest opportunity that lies ahead for the kind of organizations you're currently working with? You know, I think you mentioned something, you know, um, that the economic times we're in right now, obviously is a lot that's changing. And I think it's putting more pressure on companies to, I think, look at the talent they currently have in their organizations. And I think that's going to put more stress in the system regarding they're going to want to continue to move forward with building upon their strategy, whether it be becoming more of a digital organization, how they're going to leverage technology more effectively, how are they leveraging the cloud and data analytics to know their clients better. So they're going to have to make probably decisions about, A, where do we need to continue to either invest in hiring and upskill but on the flip side, that may mean making difficult decisions that they haven't had to do in a while regarding individuals that, frankly, from a performance or a skill perspective, aren't going to add the same value that they have. 
Um, and I think that's going to put a lot of stress on the system that hasn't had to happen in a while. So, you know, you look at the example, you know, some of the companies that have come out with earnings, you know, Snap as an example said, we're going to slow down hiring, except in some of our most critical areas that we need to continue to build upon. So I hear as an HR person, I hear that and say, okay, that's code for, we're going to look to see what we really don't need anymore or where we can consolidate because in order for us to win in this social platform space, we have to continue to invest in areas. And by investing in these areas, we're going to need to be bringing on great talent. So I think, you know, for CHROs and others that are listening to this right now, I'm sure in the back of their mind, they're knowing, okay, I know my company's not going to slow down what they need to do to be competitive. Upskilling is a very challenging part of any organization um, because some view it as it's the first step to potentially being asked to leave. Okay. Others are completely excited about it. They're going to dive in without realizing they still need to do their current job. And the third is somebody who, you know, frankly, they've always been looking to upskill because that's, you know, technology is an example to them as a hobby and they're always trying to build upon their skills. So you're going to have to really think differently in these businesses about how to maintain the competitive edge based on where your business is going. But economically, you may have to make some pretty tough decisions around, you know, people and some of the work that's being done. And is it time to sunset this product? Is it time to, you know, maybe outsource some of this work? Those are those are decisions that companies haven't had to face for a while. And frankly, if you were to basically ask a number of CEOs and say, okay, this is just between us, they would say, we've needed to do this for years. This is probably not a bad thing. So I love the framing that you've put there on how delicate conversations around upskilling and reskilling need to be and how thoughtful they have to be. It's a uh, one of those things that is often looked at through the lens of analytics and reporting alone without really considering the human factor in enough detail and considering how do we actually activate these programs in a way that gauges people's interest and their own preferences and uh, how that might map with their own sense of development. And talking about skills can be difficult. Asking somebody, what skills do you have, is a very tricky question to answer. And often it's better. Everybody thinks they're an expert. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I think uh, what we're starting to see is organizations be able to infer that from what people actually do. If you do start offering internal gigs, see where people got engaged. And and from that, learn what types of skills they might be developing or interested in. It's a really interesting time where those options are available, but it has to be approached in a very human way. With that topic of upskilling in mind, I'd love to take the the more, the more personal side of that for um, for you, Paul. What's a personal area of growth and uh, personal development that, that you've been uh, going through yourself? Well, I've, I've had more time since I left Fidelity to work on my golf game. Okay. And uh, to me, golf is a little bit basically just a, a summation of, of life where, you know, you, uh, you want to get better and you got to be willing to self-reflect and you got to be willing to listen and you got to deal with the good days and deal with the bad days. But uh, try getting better at that. That's a, a besides, you know, my family and my friends, that's probably the, the one real passion that uh, I've developed. So uh, that's been an area that uh, I really enjoy the social aspect of it. I've got a number of friends that I try to get out with regularly, but you know, getting better at it. And like I said, it's, it's a little bit of a just a you know example of life where you know if you're if you want to put some time in you want to listen you want to be self-reflective you can get better at the same point if you don't want to listen and you won't be self-reflective you're probably never going to get better and that's you know that's a decision that you make 
And, uh, you know, it, it's no different than I used to say to managers, you know, you're going to hear feedback. You can do one of three things. You can accept it, you can deny it, or you can think about it. And uh, I would always say number three is the best one because when you think about it, that's where you really start to understand how, you know, this perception or this uh, particular issue might be coming forward. So I think golf is just a very consistent way with life and, and how, you, uh, how you try to think about things. So, Well, this takes us nicely to the next segment, the future of talent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the future. What is the recipe for success as an organization today if you're an employer? What does success look like? Yeah, I think the first step is like anything else, it's no different than if you're building a house, you have to have a very strong foundation. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what are we using for an overall HRIS platform? And more importantly, are we leveraging the capabilities in a consistent manner, whether it be multi-site, globally, different divisions, but there's got to be a consistency to how this system is being operated and utilized as the foundation. Because it's no different. You could decorate your house beautiful, but if you didn't put a good roof on and it's leaking, what's the point? So the first thing really has to be taking a look at the infrastructure you have and are you ultimately going to, as an organization, nobody likes hearing that things are mandated, but how are we going to use this tool to get the most out of it? Because most of these tools you bring in, you're initially only leveraging probably maybe 30% capability because you're not going to turn on every feature that they have right away because there's so much, in many cases, change, you know, and companies do things different. You know, some, some companies will have, you know, data centralized. Others, it's all decentralized. Some groups will have the HR groups will do it. Some groups, it'll be, you know, an operations group. And, you know, particularly, as you mentioned, the if you have a CHRO right now, or, you know, in many cases, it's even the CEO, they understand the power of analytics on what they're trying to do with their customers. Okay. Um, it's no surprise. And they would say, well, we should be doing the same thing with our associates. You know, think about how much we know about our customers and can make them happy. What can we do for our associates to make them happy? So the, the stress is going to start to get, it's going to happen because they're going to want it right away. And I think that that's hard for people though. I think people have a hard time, you know, in many cases, it feels like you're trying to change the tire while you're going on the highway because everybody's busy and most organizations are certainly not just sitting still. You've got to invest in that. It definitely is one of the hardest and certainly couldn't agree with you more on the house analogy and getting getting these foundations in place. On the topic of one piece of advice, what would be one piece of advice you'd give your past self? You talked about your 30-year 30, 30 career as a practitioner. If you were giving advice to your past self when you were first becoming a TA leader, and if it, was a, if it was in today's landscape, if it was applicable to other TA leaders who are stepping into that role now, what would it be? You know, the one skill I've always tried to get better at is listening, um, because I think quickly, hope people probably say I talk quickly, and taking the time to really listen, I think has been something I've worked at really hard, or at least make sure that I'm sharing with people that I tend to think out loud, so it's not that I'm not listening to them, because I can change my perspective. But I think earlier on in my career, that would have been something that, you know, um, I would have really liked to have 
gotten more coaching on. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got, and I didn't understand at the time, was my HR person when I was, I think I was either a VP or a director in the staffing organization. She came up to me and she said, you microwave everything. I was looking at like, what are you talking about? And she said, think about it. People put something in the microwave because they want it heated in 30 seconds. They put it in, they press the button, they pull it out. She's like, you do that with all issues and everything that comes to you. Take some time and think about it. Take some time and listen more. Take some time to let things maybe simmer a bit. And I just thought that was really, really great advice. And um, I've thought about that a lot through different roles when I've moved into different jobs. I've thought about that analogy and it was really helpful. And that's why I always give the term or I gave the analogy of like, when you get feedback, you can do three things with it. And thinking about it really is, I think, the most appropriate thing to do because a lot of times you give someone feedback and they'll say, yeah, yeah, but that's who I am. What's next? Well, you think about it, maybe it's not actually who you are, or maybe it's something that if you tweaked a little bit, no one's asking you not to be true to yourself, but maybe you'll make others around you more effective. So that's something I've really tried to work on. Very helpful advice to to many folks, I am sure. Certainly something I have been uh, learning for myself over, over many experiences of never listening enough and probably being one of the few folks that can speak uh, just as quickly as you, Paul. If we jump back uh, into the topic of the future, if you imagine where things are heading, obviously things have gone a long way from the days of managing the files that you spoke about earlier to where we are now and all these opportunities with the AI solutions for employee experiences and candidate experiences. If you if we extrapolate forwards another five years, that along with some of the changes that we are seeing businesses put in place, if you came back five years from now, what are, what do you think are the biggest things that have changed? I think that the transparency is only going to become greater. Meaning, people that are applying to your companies, you're going to know a lot more about them besides what's just on their resume. And on the flip side, they're going to know a lot more about you besides what you are saying your company's all about and what you are as a manager. And you think about where we've gone over the last few years, whether it be with things like, you know, um, Glassdoor and other social media platforms where people are putting opinions out there. I just think that, you know, the world is becoming more and more open. And I think that there's going to be more and more information that is available that people are going to know more about the individuals that are coming into their organization. And the individual coming in is going to know more about who they're joining along with their team. And I think that the AI world is only going to make that more and more applicable so that, you know, when you think about it, you know, you're applying for a role. Right now, a lot of companies want you to you know, look at your, they look at your LinkedIn profile, but, you know, there's other tools out there that are going to be able to take a look at, you know, what do you like on Twitter or Facebook and just get a different feel holistically for the individual, but the individual is going to have the same opportunity holistically to view the manager. And, you know, there's some challenges there because, you know, you see a lot of companies right now that are trying to stay neutral in this, you know, I'll speak here in the U.S. to this, you know, polarizing political environment that we're in and have been in for years. And you've got a lot of companies now that are realizing we have associates that are both ways. You know, we have associates that are, you know, more conservative or more liberal. And if we take a stand, we're going to, you know, upset 
them. And then we've got customers that are on both sides. So there, there's some danger there um, and things that I get concerned about, particularly, you know, I've got four children and, you know, three of them right now are out in the workforce. And I think about, wow, it's so different than when I first started. Pete, your voice is heard more, but they know more about you potentially. And you know more about them. And I think that's just going to become greater and greater through the coming years. And uh, there's some exciting aspects about it, but there's also some scary aspects about it. That is for sure. Well, that is a, a great way to wrap this week's episodes. Thank you so much, Paul. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, here's to all the, the excitement and all the uncertainty of, of the years ahead with all the opportunities available to us. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining us today. Great. Thanks very much for having me. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at beamery.com.